Well, good morning. Before we begin, I must tell you that it's a real privilege to be here this morning. It's a, quite a unique honor to be standing in this place, Estes Chapel, at this pulpit. I, I have to admit I'm a tad nervous. I mean, I'm always a little nervous when I preach, but then yesterday Dr. Minger handed me an award for preaching, and that kind of means I have to do a good job today. <laughs> Seriously, let me say thank you. Thank you, Dr. Minger, for nominating me. Thank you to my professors for educating me. Thank you for this opportunity, and I, I sincerely hope that I do it justice. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20 today, as, as you just heard, and the setting of our passage is Paul's final farewell address to the Christian leaders in Ephesus. Before we get into that address, though, there's kind of some important background information that will help us view today's passage. You see, Paul had been a real nuisance in Ephesus. His message of monotheism and strictly one way to eternal life was costing a lot of people a lot of money. Craftsmen and various tradesmen were making money selling statues and trinkets of idols and false gods that they worshipped, gods and goddesses. Scripture tells us that Paul, Acts chapter 19 tells us that Paul began preaching one God and one salvation and that he caused a great disturbance and that he, quote, was leading practically the whole province of Asia astray, end quote. The whole city was in an uproar. The crowd began chanting and screaming the name of Artemis, a false goddess that they worshipped. Paul had already begun planning to go to Jerusalem and then on to Rome, but uh, as, as a response to this uproar, he decided to stay just a little bit longer in Ephesus. So that's kind of the setting of where we are today. Will you, pl- will you pre- pre- uh, please pray with me this morning? God, thank you again for the opportunity to be in this place. Lord, I pray that for the graduating seniors, that you would go with them, bless their ministry, win many souls to your kingdom through them, help them to finish strong, Lord, we pray in your mighty name, amen. Well, it's probably a little obvious why I chose a passage about finishing the race, or some translations say finishing the course for a graduate's chapel, because many of us are finishing this race. Soon we will begin a new race, one that I pray is the longest marathon you ever run, the race of full-time ministry. But before starting that race, we have some things to do first. We have to finish this race In a way, we'll almost go through today's passage in reverse. So look with me at verse 24 again. It talks about finishing the race and completing the task. We'll talk more about that, but first what we need to hear is that it's not just about finishing. Don't just finish at Asbury Theological Seminary and wipe your hands of it and say you're done. 
finish strong. Sprint through the finish line. I've heard pastors say that often when they prepare a sermon, it's most convicting right back at them as if they're preaching to themselves. And I have to confess to you guys that this school year, I've had senioritis really bad. I have been checking off the boxes and slowing way down and merely just trying to get done and move on. So the idea of finishing well is aimed at me just as much as anyone in the room. It's important to finish well. It's part of our testimony. It's part of our character witness as Christians. When Jesus entered Jerusalem the final week of his life, he didn't slow down. He didn't kick back and take it easy. In fact, Luke chapter 19 tells us that every day, every single day of his last week on earth, he spent teaching in the temple. He knew what waited for him at the end of that week. And yet, he finished strong. He sprinted through the finish line. So let us aspire to do the same. Let me add that I know there are probably people in this room who are not graduating this year, but by God's grace, you will graduate one day. It's possible, I promise it's possible. When you are nearing the finish line, I pray that you are reminded of these words from Paul and that you finish well. Now let's circle back around to verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. For those of us who are graduating, we head to our next destination not really knowing what will happen to us there. We have our best thought out plans. We feel called to the ministry. We have it all worked out in our own minds. But the reality is we don't know what waits for us. Proverbs 16.9 says, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. As we transition into this next season of life, have we submitted to the Lord's establishing of his plan? Have we laid aside our will for God's will? Also, when you get to the start line of your next race, whether it's an appointed pastor position or a teacher or in the marketplace or on the mission field, wherever your start line is of that race of ministry, I encourage you to get connected in your next community. When Melinda and I moved to Wilmore, we had a thought process of keep your head down, get through the degree, and move back to Indianapolis. We are both from Indianapolis, our parents are in Indianapolis, our siblings are there, all our nieces and nephews are there. So we just wanted to get here, get through it, and get home. I said it was our idea, really it was my idea, and if I can be frank with you guys, it was a bad idea. We missed out on almost a full year of making friendships, getting plugged in, building relationships, and enjoying life in Wilmore. I deeply regret missing out on that time. When you get to your next destination, don't make the same mistake we made. Plug in right away, start meeting people, 
start making friends, build relationships. You don't know how long you have there. Much like Paul talking to the leaders in Ephesus, you don't know what awaits you, but you only have one aim, testifying to God's grace. Be wise with each moment you have. Now let's look at verse 23. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Some of you are heading to be local pastors in whatever city and state that you've been appointed or where you've been hired. Some of you are heading to the mission field. Some of you are heading to the marketplace. Not all of us will go to places where prison is a real threat like it was for Paul, although some of us certainly will. But all of us have hardships that await. The life of ministry comes with a life of potential hardships around every corner. You are a target for the enemy. Robert Clinton of Fuller Theological Seminary says that one out of every three Christian leaders finishes well. And he attributes that to their response to tragedy or hard times. Two-thirds of Christian leaders, 66%, fail to finish well because of their response to when hard times come. They are coming. Be prepared for them. Be expecting them. Jesus guaranteed they would happen. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Not you might, not maybe, but you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So when Satan knocks on the door and brings hardship, send Jesus to answer. If we keep using this metaphor of running a race, this is the point in the race where one is tempted to quit. A few weeks ago, I ran my first 5K right out there. <laughs> Had to get my directions. Well, let's be honest. I ran a little bit and walked most of my first 5K. It's aptly named the Wesley Waddle because I was waddling a lot. <laughs> At the two-mile marker, I wanted to quit. My feet were burning. My knees felt like someone took a hammer and chisel to them. And I was made fully aware how out of shape one 32-year-old could be. Every spicy chicken sandwich, every slice of pizza, I felt every one of them. The same thing happens to us in ministry. Burnout comes, a loved one gets sick, higher paying job offers come along, and a plethora of any number of other temptations will be thrown at us to get us to just quit. We must keep going. We must finish the race. But it isn't just any old race, it's one of the most important things we will ever do. Look at verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task 
the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. My only aim is to complete the task of testifying to the good news. Paul wasn't concerned about the danger he was in, the uproar of the crowd, the disturbance he had caused. He had one thing and one thing only on his mind, testifying to the good news. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if this is not our goal, if this is not our only aim, we have missed the mark. If our education here and our ministry setting isn't used for and our time isn't spent on proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection for the remission of sins, we are not running the correct race. This should be our only aim. With our spouses, with our children, with our friends, with our, fa- our extended family, our neighbors, our only aim should be testifying to the good news. Why did we come here? Why did we do all those papers? Why did we spend so much time in the library studying? What is it all for if not to share the good news of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins? I can think of few better examples of this than Gladys Elward. Gladys Elward was a missionary in China. I know, a missionary telling a missionary story. Surprise, surprise. If anybody finished the race and finished it well, it was Gladys. If anyone kept her only aim as testifying to the good news, she did. Just the mere act of getting to China required her to spend her life savings on a one-way train ticket. The train took her from her home in London across Siberia, where she was captured by Russian soldiers. Day and night for many months, she was watched 24-7 around the clock by Russian spies. She was held in a little hotel room where she couldn't escape, except that she did escape. She escaped and snuck onto a Japanese cargo boat. And on that cargo boat, she went from where she was to Japan. And from Japan, she caught a train to the rest of the way to China. That was just to get to the mission field. And I'm giving you the really condensed version I'm giving you the condensed version of the condensed version. (laughs) Shortly after arriving in China and establishing the ministry, the village that Gladys lived in was bombed. The house she was in was bombed. China was in the middle of World War II. A bomb crashed through the ceiling threw the second story down into the kitchen and exploded underneath where Gladys was on the second story. But somehow, she survived. Not only did she survive, but she came to and she saw uh, soldiers coming down the mountainside, and so she quickly organized her village and helped them all escape. Not a single death. She saved over 100 lives that day. 
They spent, uh, they, they spent time on the run from the soldiers. They were hiding out in mountains and in caves and sleeping along riverbeds. And this led to uh, Gladys having a severe case of pneumonia. Pneumonia so bad, actually, that she slipped into a coma. When she woke up from her coma, she was back in England. And 15 years, approximately, on the mission field had aged her so roughly that people who knew her mistook her for her own mother. They thought she was her mom's mom because what she went through had aged her so bad. Upon recovering from this, Gladys came to one logical conclusion. It's time to go back to China. She spent another 13 or so years in China for a total of roughly 30 years on the mission field. War, multiple near-death experiences, and pneumonia so bad she fell into a coma could not keep Gladys away from the people she loved and from serving the God she loved. History tells us that more than 100 people came to Christ through Gladys. More than 100 people are in heaven today or will be in heaven one day because of Gladys. That is what it looks like to run the race, complete the task, and finish well in testifying to the good news. Will you please pray with me? God, thank you again for the privilege of being here. I pray again for our graduating class that as they go, you would go with them, whether it's to the mission field or the marketplace or on to more degree work. Wherever they are going, Lord, I pray that you go with them, that you watch over and protect them, that you bless them and bring many, many people to the kingdom. Not for our glory, O oh God, but for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.